Got your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, as, we, as we continue our study through the book of 1 Timothy, we're also going to get into 2 Timothy and then into Titus. Uh, but we're going to continue our study this morning. And we, we, I've got to set this as the preface. The scriptures must be the foundation upon which you and I stand. Amen? That, that is the foundation upon which we stand. The script by which we must live our lives. And I know that there is a massive push by culture and by media to try to disprove and dismantle the scriptures in order to be able to authenticate a sinful lifestyle and wicked doctrine. Those are things that are being pumped out into our society today. People try to say things like, the Bible is an old, musty, mystic, religious book that has no relevance in the 21st century. And so, um, when we open up the Word and see the things that are being taught from the Word, verse by verse, sometimes word by word, we see that what's happening there, what Paul is telling Timothy in these books, is actually more potent and more relevant in the world than what's happening in the headline news. And last week we saw why we need to be a people of prayer and rely on communicating with God to give us the direction for how we should pray for our churches and to see who we're to pray for them, why we're to pray for them, and how, and how we as the people of God are to be a people that are a praying people. And if your church is not founded on the scriptures and founded in prayer, then you're going to have problematic issues weeding out some of the other doctrines that are trying to be pushed into the doors of the churches in America today. And so we're going to continue our study in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 8. We're going to start um, in verse 8. And we're going to see on a real granular level the metrics of how things are to operate. This is the operation we start to see in chapter the back half of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 sort of the granular operational levels of how a church is to be run this is going to be a little bit listen i'm not going to be i'm going to be honest i was a little squeamish getting ready for this because the culture is so violent against what is in these next several verses and we have disobeyed the text for generations and look where we are so i'm i'm coming into this knowing what ground i'm walking i know that there's landmines everywhere so i gotta be careful but as steve lawson said preach the word and let the chips fall where they may verse eight <clears throat> I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So we see here first thing in verse 8. 
Timothy hears from Paul, and Paul says, I desire that every and that in every place the men should pray. So here we see specifically that men are called by God to lead corporate worship. The Greek word for men here implies that men are the ones who lead corporate worship services. Furthermore, the Greek word for everywhere here is connected to this word, the Greek word for men. And this Greek word for everywhere is topos, which means place, region, seat, or opportunity. So every place, every region, every seat, opportunity, when it comes to the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to be led by, led by men. Once again, this is not Caleb Gordon saying, this is what, I be- this is what I'm writing down. I'm just affirming what the Lord Jesus Christ told Paul. I'm simply agreeing with the text. Zach Garris wrote in his book, Masculine Christianity, Sadly, in the modern church today, it has traded the biblical worldview of patriarchy for more of a matriarchal, effeminate culture. The Bible calls for men to rule their households, the church, and society. Men are supposed to protect and provide for their families, which puts their wives in a place of honor. Feminism is a rebellion against such God-given authority, and now we are left with women acting like men and men acting like women. When qualified men lead the church as well as corporate worship, They are showing the women in the congregation that they value and want to obey God's design. And furthermore, they value the women in the church and long to see their wives and their children come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a sweeter, more intimate way. And how are men to do this? Well... According to the text, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Men are to have a heart that is not filled with rage or anger, but rather filled with love for the Lord Jesus Christ and love for his word. And as a result of having a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his word, everything else flows out from that heartfelt desire. By Lifting holy hands. Now, this is not a prescription on how the posture of what we're supposed to be doing. This is a how we are to be. We're to have holy hands. We're to come into worship, lifting our hands in such a way that is a, a, a wholesome, holy worship experience. Um, like I said, this is not a prescription for how our posture should be, although there's nothing wrong with raising your hands in worship services. In fact, I've seen some of you in this place do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. The idea here is, though, is that men come in leading in a holy stance. They come and they lead corporate worship with a holy desire to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come in, you have a pure heart. You don't have a heart that's filled with rage or anger or malice rather you have a heart that is pure with a desire to truly 
hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so often what happens is we come into buildings like this out of habit. And we come and we sit and we stand and we stand and we sit and we sit and we stand and we pray and we say amen in certain places. And we do the things that we're supposed to do in particular places because, well, that's what you're supposed to do in church. And it becomes a habit and it's no longer a heart level desire to actually hear from the God of the universe, but rather it's just, I'm going to go through the motions and get this over with. Let's hurry up and get it. Hey, listen, preacher, noon is your cutoff. Noon is your cutoff, boy. And, and so we have this mentality that this is just the, the habit of which we do. This is what we do on Sundays. This is our thing, right? No. Men are to come in without angry hearts, angry spirits, with quarrelsome fighting in their hearts, but rather they come in with a pure desire to to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify Him and edify the church. So we glorify God and edify the saints. Men, I want you to hear me. You've got a high, high calling from the Lord and not one to be taken lightly. It it is a responsibility that God has called you to lead this place, men. That's that's a responsibility. And it's a a glorified, high calling. Let's keep going in verse 9. This is where it gets fun. Likewise also, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So the women in the church in this day were living impure, self-centered lives. This is further explained in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, and in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. And so these practices that these women were doing outside of the church walls were coming into the church in terms of the corporate worship services and in just the membership as well. And so what was, what was happening, it was causing serious problems in the corporate worship services. And Paul was telling Timothy that this is, you must confront this and you must resolve the issue of impurity before it causes further damage to the church at large. So there's a calling in the beginning of this that men are not to come into the worship service and, and distract with angry, quarrelsome, fighting spirits. And the ladies are called not to come in and distract with their apparel and their impure demeanor. Like I said, if you, if you don't like either one of those verses, this is not... Thus saith Caleb, this is the, thus saith the Lord. And this is the problem in the culture today is what we've done is we've taken the Bible and we say, well, I don't like this part, so I'm going to cut this out. There's whole denominations that cut this out and just say Paul was a chauvinistic pig and we're not going to trust this. Well, if I can't trust this, what can I trust? If we start cherry picking the texts, we get in trouble. It's either we trust the whole Bible or we don't trust any of it. And there's so many denominations today, the one we were formerly connected to, American Baptist, they're in that stance. They have thrown the Bible out lock, stock, and barrel. And now as a denomination, they don't know what they, they have, sin just walks in through the front door and is allowed to parade on the stage. Go go read some of their, their nationwide websites. Read what they're allowing into their churches. 
It's heretical and it's hellish to the core. We must, as I said, have our foundation upon God's word. Like I said, if, you're, if this is something you don't like, you'll have to take it up with the Lord. I'm just the paper boy who fully agrees with what the editor-in-chief has written. Let's keep going, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should remain quiet. Now, notice it's very quiet in this room. There's a, there's a tension in the air, I know. And this is something that is not accepted by many in culture today. Nevertheless, this is why we must remain steadfastly committed to the word of God. Biblically, women are not permitted to teach publicly when the church is assembled together. Neither are they to shout out in the middle of the services, but they are to learn quietly. Now, experientially, I have experienced in church, my dad was a pastor for my entire life. Uh, there were two women in, at Trinity that caused a lot of problems in the corporate worship services because they would scream out in the middle of service like this, oh wait, I don't think that's right, while my dad's preaching. We had to, he and some of the deacons had to sit them down and say, listen, you can't do that. You can't holler out because it's causing confusion and it's causing a little bit of chaos in the worship services because you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to just, hey, wait a minute, that, was, that isn't right. I don't like that. Like there was times where they hollered out, I don't like that. I don't think that's right in a Sunday morning service or a Sunday night service. And so it was really awkward. And so there came a time where Dad had to sit him down with the, with the deacons and say, listen, you can't do that. They refused to listen to it, so he started calling them out while they did it. Told them that they needed to stop in public. And so the scriptures here are telling, because there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason why this has happened, and we're going to get there. So you have, to, you have to stick with me. But there's, there's a prescription here. So this is, not, this is not allowed that women should preach behind the pulpit. It, it, is an, it is a doctrine that is against God's word. And I know that um, this is something that, that is not well looked upon in the culture today. But if the church is gathered together, women are not permitted to teach. And this is where we've fallen short as a culture. We've attempted to usurp God's word and God's authority and rewrite the scriptures to make it fit what is appealing to what the world says is okay today. John MacArthur says about women pastors that women who pastor and women who preach in the church are a disgrace and openly reflect opposition to the clear command of God's word. So um, this is what we're called to do. And people say, well, Caleb, that just, it just doesn't seem right. I feel like that, I, you know, I've heard women say, I, I, I feel like I have a calling in my life to preach. And I said, that's great that you, you may have a feeling of that way. But Proverbs chapter 14, verses 12 through 16 says that there is a way that seems right unto people. There's a way that seems right to a man. But at the end of that, it leads to what? Death. And so the scripture is the final authority for the church. Not what we as human beings think it should be. This is what, what we're walking into is the church of Laodicea. 
the rule of the people. That was what Laodicea meant was the rule of the people. And so we have this, um, this mentality that this is what we're supposed to do. And, and we're going to find out here in just a second why God has this prescription. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So we hear, see here. So here's what, let me make the distinction. In terms of equality in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, men, are, men and women are absolutely 110% equal in the eyes of the Lord. We are redeemed the same, we are saved the same, and we have the same value in the kingdom of God. Now what God has done in the kingdom economics here is that men and women have different roles. That does not make them as people less or more. Just because I'm a man doesn't mean I'm any more valued in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ than a woman. And vice versa, a woman is no more valued than a man. We are both equally valued in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have different roles. And we see in the beginning here, God set this up from the beginning. Adam was formed first, then Eve. So we see here that the role of men being the leader was not something that was put in place after the fall, but rather it was the creative order that God put in place when things were perfect. Men were called to lead, guide, and protect. So there wasn't a problem pre-fall. The only reason we have a problem with it today is because the fall is in full effect. Verse 14. Adam was not, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So it was not only after the fall that this thing was, it was only after the fall that this thing became complicated. Genesis chapter 2, when God created man, he instructed the man in what he should do. The man was to be the one who was to have authority and dominion. That's the specific words that God uses. Authority and dominion. And therefore, the man was the one who was to have authority and to lead as well as protect his wife. Adam was to lead and protect Eve. And when the devil came into the garden in Genesis chapter 3, the, Satan did not come directly to Adam and start to talk to Adam. He bypasses the man and approaches the woman and deceives the woman. The man passively... Um, abdicated his authority to the woman in doing this. And when Adam abdicated his authority and she stepped into that role and usurped his authority, everything fell apart. And as a result of that taking place, humanity has been plunged into everlasting darkness until Jesus comes and fixes it at the end of this thing. And when God, now listen, when God entered into the garden in Genesis chapter 3, who did he call out to? Did he call out and say, hey, Eve, Eve, where are you? No, he, he, he called to Adam. He, scripture says that he called to the man. Even though the fall was in place and there was shame in the midst of both of them, God, by design, steps in and calls to the man who had been given authority and began to talk to him. He was like, listen, what, I left you in charge. What did you do? And immediately he 
shrinks and becomes this little boy who blames the woman. Rather than taking responsibility, he abdicates and blames. So by God's design, the God's design for masculinity was still in effect. And it listen, God's design for masculinity is still in effect in 2023. We're called by God to lead and to shepherd our homes, our churches, and our communities. We'll see this later in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, when we abdicate spiritual authority, we usher in chaos and confusion and carnage. That happens in our homes. That happens in our churches. And when men abdicate and hand over the spiritual responsibility to women in the church and in the home, there's chaos and confusion that happens. And it's only been within the last 70 years that we've moved in this direction where fathers no longer rule. Fathers no longer are in charge. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was in Sunday school, and I, we had the conversation. There was a day and a time in this place when the men ran the thing. They were at the front door welcoming, greeting, praying, leading, serving. What happened? We've abdicated that role and said, well, I guess that's a woman's job because I'm working in the field or I'm working in my corporate job. No, you're called to work in the field in the corporate job and to lead here. Men are called to lead this place, to, to guide the spiritual development of the people in this place. Think about this. What would the enemy want to do? Think about what the enemy is doing in 2023 today. Take the man out of the equation so that we are left with a home that is defenseless. You take the man out of the equation, the women and children are left vulnerable and exposed. What's God's calling for you? You're to lay down Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, 25. According to, to God's word, we're, we're called specifically by God in Ephesians, men, to lay down our lives in such a way as, as, as Christ did um, for the church. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's your calling, fellas, is to lay your life down in leadership for your wife. And this is what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to take out the one who leads, protects, and loves his family as the husband and father. Because when you bind the strong man, when you take the strong man out of the equation, you destroy those who are left in the home who are defenseless. Mark chapter 3, verses 24 through 27. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if, Sa if Satan has risen up against himself and divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first his He's bound the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder the house. If we take out the men out of the equation, 
The churches are left vulnerable for false doctrine and false teachers. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, they're rampant. There are more false doctrine teaching churches that have the name Baptist on the front door than there are solid. If we take out family shepherds, church shepherds, the family suffers, the church suffers, the city suffers, the state suffers, and then finally the nation suffers. Our our nation is suffering because we as men have abdicated our roles and consequently ladies have stepped in and said, listen, I want the authority. How do we know that? Because in Genesis chapter 3, God tells Eve, listen, you're going to have the desire to want to be over the man. That's your desire by the fall is you want to be in charge. And men will go, you know what? All right. And we step back and let it happen. That's by the fall as well. As a result of the fall, we become spineless little sausage backs. They're just, oh, okay, if you want to. What's, I, this saying, it, it, I used to say it as a joke and it's giggly and funny, ha, but man, it's just, as I've been studying God's word, it just irritates me. If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. If daddy's not happy, nobody cares. That is hellish to the core. I know we mean it tongue-in-cheek, but man, it's the truth. Look at culture today. Men are treated as just idiots, especially if you're a Christian white man. It's the truth. It's just, it's just become this horrific idea because we've, not, because we've abdicated. And listen, there was, listen I'm not going to make excuses for some of the men that have abused their authority. There are men who do that, and they're going to have to answer to God for that. But men who abdicate their authority are going to have to take responsibility and they're going to have to answer to God for that as well. We must, as men, love well. We must shepherd the flock of God that is under our care. We must lead well. We must provide well. Even when the culture and even when media says, oh, no, 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 that's not how this works anymore. You need to take a back seat, sir. It's... I am woman, hear me roar. And we, well, okay, because the media says so, because the movies say so, because the culture says so, I guess that's what we'll do. Listen, countercultural Christian, I'm sorry, Christian cultural identities are a counterfeit to biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is how we are supposed to walk, Christian man and woman. If God's word says one thing and culture says another, it is the culture and the people in that culture that must repent and change, not God. And I know that this is not a popular subject, but this is the reason why exegetical preaching does things for people's souls. Because, listen, this is not a topical message that's normally heard in churches in America in 2023. But nevertheless... This is what God's word says. What are we supposed to do? We keep going there in Timothy. Well, 
chapter 3, verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he does a noble task. So next week we see the qualifications. So you say, well, Caleb, you're just saying men are supposed to do this? God's word is even more narrow than that. There's only qualified men that are allowed to, to run this thing. Not just any Joe Blow off the street. Qualified men must run the church. And we run it in love, in order. What did I say? I said it earlier. That one of the first things I said, when qualified men lead the church as well as corporate worship, they are showing to the women in the congregation that they value and obey God's word and his design. And furthermore, they value the women in the church and long to see their wives and children come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a sweeter, more intimate way. Like that's, that should be our hope as church leadership is that we see the people in the church Women and men both come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a sweeter, more intimate, more beautiful way. Just because God has given us different roles does not mean you're less in the kingdom of God. You're not. In the kingdom, in kingdom economics, we are equal in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just given us different roles. I used this as an illustration the other day. Um, in, in the... In the it's funny because we don't see this as a problem anywhere else but the church. We see this as a problem in the church, but if we go into the corporate world and we say, okay, the CEO and the janitor or CEO and the secretary or CEO and, and the entry-level employee, we know by human rights standards that every person, whether the CEO or the entry-level employee, has the same exact rights from an HR standpoint and from a human rights standpoint, right? Period. But in terms of their roles, the CEO has a different set of responsibilities than the guy that's the data entry person, right? And none of us are going here going, well, wait a second. I don't think that the data entry guy, he, that's not fair that the CEO gets paid more than the data entry guy. I think that they should be equal in pay. No one in here is going, that's... No, no, no. Or if you own a company and you have an employee, that employee says, I don't think it's fair that you make more than I do, owner of the company. I know you have the more responsibility. I know that you have the more liability. I know that you've got all this on your shoulders, but I think I should get paid the exact amount that you get paid, owner of your company. We'd laugh and we'd say, that's silly. But yet we look at the word of God and say, well, I don't know about that. God's given us different roles to play, but I think that what God's word says is silly. And we toss that out. This is the problem in our culture. This is how I know that we have a deceived culture because we will look at certain standards and certain practices and say, that's normal and good and right. But what God's word says is wrong. Really? That's, that doesn't work. That doesn't compute. Men are called to lead. That doesn't mean we're overlords or ogres. And if you have a, a pastor or a leader or a husband or someone in your life that is an ogre, that is an overlord, that is abusive, absolutely, you better get the authorities involved. Period. Because a man who loves his wife well will sacrifice his life for his wife. 
He'll take death to what he wants to make sure she is taken care of. He'll work his fingers to the bone to make sure his babies and his wife are taken care of. Period. Any man who sits back and just lets the woman take responsibility and do all the things, well, I'm just going to sit here and watch some sports and just chill. That's a problem. That's abusive. That's wrong. Men, you should wring your life out for your family and for your wife. Period. Love them till the day your heart stops beating. That's what, that's what the Word of God says. Men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did he, Christ loved the church so much that he what? Gave himself up for it. Died for it. Likewise, ladies, wives are supposed to submit themselves or respect their husbands. Notice that there wasn't a, a declaration from the Lord that women must love their husbands. Why? Because God put it in a woman's nature to be loving. Us guys... Not so much. Can I get an amen? amen? Sometimes us as men, we're not as loving. So God said, listen, fellas, you got to love. I know you may not want to, but you got to love them. First Peter says that men live with your wife in an understanding way so your prayers aren't hindered. You want your prayer life to not be hindered? Love your wife well. I'll never forget this. This happened one time. Jamie and I had a big argument. Like it was one of those knockdown, drag out, just it was a fight. Like, no other word for it. And I was like, I'm leaving, and I walk out of the house. And I'm going for a walk, because I'm going to go cool off. And I'm just, and I have said some things I shouldn't have said to her. She said things that she shouldn't have said. It was a problem, right? I'm walking, and on my phone I have the Bible app. And this thing has a specific time when it goes off in the morning. It does not go off any other time. Well, it went off in my pocket, and I was like, what is that? And I look at it, and I kid you not. First Peter, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers aren't hindered. Are you kidding me? All right, Lord. So I came back into the house. Listen, honey, I shouldn't have said those things. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? She said, yes. And she said, likewise, listen, I, I should have said that some of the things I said to you, and that was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And guess what? Absolutely, I forgive you. I'm sorry. God's word is very specific for us, ladies and gentlemen. Husbands, love your wives well. Ladies, respect and honor your husband. That's what it's called to do. And I know that this is not popular, but this is the truth of God's word. And I'm telling you, Everyone that I know, every church that I know who abides in this doctrine, their church is thriving. A church who is led by godly men is thriving in a way that other churches are not. You say, well, Caleb, I've seen some really big ones that look like they're thriving. I, I get that. Revelation talks about, the book of Revelation talks about those churches that they look alive. They've got all the things that they're supposed to do. They look alive, but they're very dead. There is a vitality and life to churches that follow biblical worldviews and biblical mandates that look different than the dog and pony show with the laser lights and fog. Amen? There's a difference between the two. And I, I, I fully agree with Johnny Mac. John MacArthur is very clear here. A church who has a woman 
leading from the pulpit is in direct opposition to God's word and is actually under God's judgment, not God's blessing. So we have to be careful. So next week we begin in chapter 3 and we see the qualifications for those that are elders and deacons and what those two offices hold and what those two offices are to do. Because elder and deacon are two different things and the Bible is very specific that churches should be led by a group of godly elders and elders does not mean old people it just doesn't elder just means that that's a, a term of reverence and respect and leadership and deacon is a completely different op- office in the church so we're going to cover that next week let's stand together